Would you join me in prayer? Father, we ask now as we turn to your word that you would speak to us, that in every area where we are hurting, that you would bring your comfort, in any area where we have become lazy or apathetic, God, that you would challenge us and call us to your new life. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, Tanya, I'm going to put you to work today. I lost my clicker. So anytime I do this, that means you push the little right arrow button and you'll go. So if anybody sees the clicker lying around, you know, bring it on up. Last week, we began a series on Ecclesiastes. I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1. I just want to begin uh, this week with a little bit of a a very short review of what we talked about last week. Uh, First of all, Ecclesiastes is in a a set of books in the Old Testament called the Wisdom Literature, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job. And each of them bring a bit of a different perspective on life. And if we're going to really understand how to live a wise life, we need to, um, to read all of them and to understand each of their perspectives. And we talked last week about this word called hevel. And a lot of you this week have been coming to me and talking about how things are hevel, which is great. I want this to become part of the vocabulary of our church because it's a really important thing for us to remember. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we often read this word in our English translations, meaningless, and it is the Hebrew word hevel. And we learned last week that hevel uh, means vapor or breath or smoke. And so what we talked about last week is that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is, is not trying to say that I've, I've thought about everything under the sun and nothing has any meaning. What he's saying is that it is all hevel, that it is temporary, like smoke. Smoke were to go into the air, it disappears very quickly. And also it's unmanageable. You can't grasp it. You, you can't control smoke. Okay, and so all of life is like hevel. And then the third thing we talked about last, last week was the perspective of the teacher, which was the perspective of life under the sun. That he has explored everything under the sun and that his reflections that he gives to us in the book of Ecclesiastes, it only comes from his own reason and his own observation. And that Ecclesiastes is the very best that human reason, that human reflection, and that human observation, it's the very best that human beings can come up with about what this world is all about. And so as we study Ecclesiastes over the next couple of months, it's important for us as followers of Jesus to feel the weight of the teacher's conclusion that life is hevel. We need to know the real truth about our life here under the sun. The teacher is teaching us that our life here under the sun is here today and gone tomorrow. The teacher is teaching us that we can't control our lives. Life under the sun is paradoxical. There's no secret code to making our lives turn out exactly the way that we want it to turn out. And we need to feel the weight, the the force of that in our souls so that we will refuse to place our hope in hevel. There are things that we will face in our lives that we do not expect, 
things that will happen to us that we do not deserve, earthquakes and hurricanes and car accidents, they all happen, and they happen to the believer and to the non-believer alike. Life under the sun is hevel. It is here today, and it is gone tomorrow, and it is not fully under your control. And the goal of the teacher, the goal of these sermons over the next couple of months, is not to come to this conclusion to make us feel depressed. (laughs) Quite the opposite. The teacher is trying to wake us up to what is real. If we live our lives believing that life here under the sun is permanent, that it's all that there is and that we can control and manage it and make it out to be exactly what we want it to be, we are going to be frustrated and disappointed. We're going to end up being mad at the world and everyone around us and ultimately angry with God. And the teacher is telling us the truth about life here under the sun. And if we are willing to listen to him, we will be careful to not place our hope in a world that cannot bear the weight of our hope. So the teacher is making a case in this book that life is hevel. And he's giving us at least five pieces of evidence for this. Go to the next point. This is the evidence that life is hevel. There's at least five things that the teacher talks about over and over in the book. As his evidence, as I've observed the world, this is the evidence. Exhibit, five exhibits of, you know, if he was a a lawyer in a courtroom, this is what I'm going to say about why life is hevel. The reality of time, the reality of chance, the reality of evil, the reality of death, and the simple mystery of God in his ways. As we listen to the teacher's evidence of the hevel nature of our lives, I want us to listen to him and again allow the force of his teachings to hit us and to also listen to his advice. He's going to lay out the case for us and then every once in a while he's going to pause and say, if this is true, then this is what you should do. This is how you should live. And his instructions are wise and his instructions are good and we need to listen to them. But what we're also going to see each week is that as followers of Jesus, there is more to the story than what the teacher of Ecclesiastes gives to us. The teacher tells us that he is evaluating the world from the perspective of life under the sun. This is the very best that human reason and reflection about life, as if God had not revealed himself to us, this is the very best that we can come up with which is how most people in the world live, right? As if God had not revealed himself to us. But we know that there is more than life here under the sun. We know things about the world and about God's purposes that the teacher did not know. Most importantly, we live after Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. After the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. And so, in addition to hearing the teacher's words and advice to us, I also want us to look at these topics in light of the good news of Jesus. The teacher gives us some good advice about how to live under the sun, and we will listen to those, but I also want us to pay attention to what the gospel says about time and chance and evil and death and the mystery of God. Ecclesiastes asks questions that many of us are afraid to ask out loud. 
And the rest of the Bible is the answer to Ecclesiastes' questions. The rest of the Bible tells us that there is one who has come from beyond the sun to bring purpose and meaning and hope. And the weight of our hope can rest in him. So each week, we're going to look at the teacher's evidence that life is heaven. We'll then listen to the teacher's advice, and then we'll hear what the gospel says about that evidence, okay? Listen to the teacher's um, evidence, the teacher's advice, and then hear what the gospel says about the evidence. So today, let's talk about exhibit A of the teacher, and that is time. Our lives are bound by time, and time is fleeting. It is very literally here today and gone tomorrow, right? Today is September 24th, 2017. That day will never exist again after today is over. This present moment is a unique and particular moment that will never happen again. And our moments are always passing, and there's nothing that we can do about it. We can't grab onto it. It's fleeting. It's hevel. We can't grasp onto this minute. We can't control it. It simply moves on. Listen to what Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 7 says. The teacher says this, What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Time marches on. Generations come, generations go. The sun rises, the sun sets. Everything keeps on going, and all of this is completely out of human control, right? And once a particular moment in time is gone, you can't get it back. Once today passes, there will never again be that day again. I can't gain back time that I have lost. It's very unique and precious in that way. There are many things in our lives that we can lose and we can find them again or we can lose them and gain them back again. It's not the same with time. Once time has passed, it's gone forever. Jonathan Edwards was a great Puritan pastor who lived in the 17th century and he says this about time. Time is very precious, because when it is past, it cannot be recovered. There are many things which men possess that if they lose it, they can obtain them again. But it is not so with respect to time. Once time is gone, it is gone forever. No work, no cost will recover it, though we repent ever so much that we let it pass and did not use it well while we had it, it will be to no purpose. Every part of time is offered to us that we may choose to use it well or not. But there is no delay. Time will not wait upon us to see whether or not we will comply with the offer. 
But if we refuse to use our time well, it is immediately taken away and never offered more. As to that part of time which is gone, however we have neglected to use it well, it is out of our possession and out of our reach. The teacher would stand up, say, bravo, Pastor Edwards. That's exactly what I'm trying to say in Ecclesiastes. The time come and time goes. Time is out of our control. And throughout the book, the teacher reminds us that this out of control, tick-tocking of time is leading inevitably towards something. What is it? Our death. <laughs> toward our death. The teacher talks about death, I think, more than any other topic. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But death, just so you know, it really bothers the teacher a lot. I'm getting older. I'm older now than when I started this sermon. I'm older today than I was yesterday. I'm closer to the day of my death than I was yesterday. And the same is true for everyone. No matter how much or how little money you have, no matter where you're from, whether you're an American or Sudanese or Iraqi or French or Brazilian, time marches on for all of us. And it's leading each of us to closer and closer to our own death. For the teacher, this steady and sure march of time reminds us of our mortality. Death, our own death, is always looming out there in front of us. The teacher tells us that part of being wise is coming to terms with the fact that time moves on. If we're going to be wise people, we need to recognize this reality of time. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. The second thing that the teacher tells us about time is that time is, there are also different seasons of time. And Linda played the song from the birds earlier for us today. Turn, turn, turn. Uh, there is a season. Turn, 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 turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In this section of Ecclesiastes, the teacher talks about time, but he talks about it in a little bit different way than that march of time that we were just talking about. In this section, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, the teacher talks about time not as this sure and steady march, but as a cycle of seasons in our life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What we need to notice first is that most of these seasons, these times that are described here, are seasons that we have no control over. A time to be born and a time to die. We have no control over that. A time to plant and a time to uproot. Is John Geiger here? 
John Geiger's uh, one of our farmers here in town. Uh, John, what happens if you plant corn in October? It won't make it, okay? There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. That season is defined for us already by the world that we live in. And as we read through this list, we see that, there, that they are describing seasons that come our way, whether we choose them or not. The teacher is telling us that our lives are less about figuring out what we should do and more about figuring out what time it is. What season of life am I in right now? And how do I need to respond to that? How do I act right now in this particular season that has come to pass in my life? And a lot of our anxiety and a lot of our stress in our life is because we're trying to live in a season that has already passed or in a season that isn't quite there yet. A lot of the stress and anxiety in our life is because we're trying to live in a different season than we find ourselves in. What season am I in? I want to tell you, if it's a time to weep and a time to mourn, then you should weep and you should mourn. It's that season for you in your life, and it's okay, and you need to stay in that season as long as God has you there. If it's a time to dance and a time to laugh, you should dance and you should laugh, and you should not feel guilty about it. You should enjoy it because it's that kind of season in your life. So the teacher tells us that there are time also comes in different seasons, where there are different seasons for ways that we should, should act and the ways that we should respond to the season that we're in. The teacher also tells us that our particular place in time limits us from seeing the whole picture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. The teacher says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What the teacher is saying in this verse is that all of us have this deep desire to know everything from beginning to end. We want to know how the story began and we want to know how the story ends. And within the human heart, there is this desire to live outside of the boundaries and frustrations of time. But the truth is, what the teacher says is that we're very, very small. We are limited by our particular time and by our particular place. No one can understand what God has done from the beginning to the end. You and I live in a very specific time and place here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the United States in 2017. We are limited by that perspective. We can't see all of the plans and purposes of God from beginning to end. We can see some of it, but not much. We can't see the past very well. The past is retold to us by historians, and no matter how much an historian tells us, we all know that the historian has to pick and choose what he or she is going to tell us. And that shapes our view of the past and we definitely can't see into the future. And so we're stuck here in the present, here in our time, here in our particular moment. We can't see the whole story. And you and I are bound up by the cares and concerns of our own time. If you know who this person is, don't say it. If you know who it is, stand up. Okay, so about 5% of you know who this person is. You can sit down. 
This was the President of the United States 100 years ago, Woodrow Wilson. And just so you know, Wilson wasn't just kind of a flash in the pan. He was a president for eight years, was president during this little thing called World War I, okay? Very influential, one of the most powerful men in history at that time. Everyone in the U.S. in 1917 would have known who he was, but we don't. I would like for you to stand up if you know who this person is. Why do we all know who he is? He's the president now. Isn't it weird to think? You can go. Isn't it weird to think that 100 years from now, no one is going to recognize who Donald Trump is? Isn't that weird to think about? At least we better hope so, because... If they do, it's because something particularly terrible happened over the last four years, over the next four years. A hundred years from now, very few people are going to recognize him. Two hundred years from now, almost no one will even know who he is. And five hundred years from now, no one except the most obscure historian is going to know who he is. Isn't that strange? It seems impossible to us that that would be the case. Because we are bound up with the particular cares and concerns of our own time. We are limited. Our cares and concerns, the things that we focus on, are limited to our time and our place. We can't see and we can't know what God has done from beginning to end. Because we are limited to this particular time and place. Our cares and concerns are unique to our particular time and place. So the teacher's advice. The teacher points to time as evidence that our life here under the sun is heavy. It is fleeting. It is here today and gone tomorrow. Time and history are beyond our ability to control. Life under the sun is heavy. And so the teacher gives us some advice in light of this. In light of the fact of time, here's what you should do, verses 12 through 13. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Live and enjoy the moment that you are in. Eat and drink. Enjoy a good meal with friends. If you're able to have a job that you enjoy, that's amazing. Do it and be satisfied with your day's work. These are good things. Each day is a gift, the teacher says. Recognize the season that you're in and live in it. Don't try to make it something that it isn't. Take what comes your way and enjoy it to the very best of your ability because you can't control or manage it. It's going to manage it. It's going to be here today and gone tomorrow, so take it. Carpe diem, seize the day. That's what the Ecclesiate teacher says. And that's good advice from the teacher. It's the best advice. It's the very best advice from someone whose perspective is limited to life under the sun. And we should pay attention to it. We should follow his advice. But there's more to the story. 
The teacher tells us in verse 11 that God has placed eternity in the human heart. The teacher, from one of the, in one of the only times in the entire book, reflects ever so briefly on life beyond the sun. And he says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of human beings. And while it's certainly true that we can't know everything about eternity, and we do not certainly know the full mind and plan and purposes of God, he has revealed to us what we need to know about eternity in Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Lord over time. Our perspective is limited. The fact of time is frustrating to us, but we can trust the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who created time and who lives outside of time, the one who is not bound by time, but who lives in eternity. We can live our lives trusting in him that even if we don't clearly see the beginning and the end, much less everything that comes in the middle, we know that there is one who is on the throne of history who does, who knows it all, and we can trust him. You can trust the Alpha and the Omega. One of the ways that we push back against the limits of time is to always be busy trying to fit, fit in 25 hours of work and life every day into 24. Many people's sense of identity and worth comes from being busy. We think that if we are busy, then we must be important. And if we tell people that we're busy, then they'll think we are important. Jesus was never busy. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Can you imagine in the gospel stories, someone coming to Jesus and asking, hey, Jesus, uh, how are you? And him saying, ah, I'm just so busy. It's just so much to do and so little time to do it. Can you imagine him saying that? This is one of the amazing truths about Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The eternal divine son of God, the one who is infinite, became a part of his finite creation and took on all of the limitations of time and showed us how to live within those limitations. There would be times in Jesus' life when people would leave a town and when people were still, uh, he would leave a town and people would leave that town and say, come back, please, come back to our town. There's still work to be done. And he would say, there are other towns and villages that need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus himself did not solve every single problem. He only did the work that his heavenly father gave him to do. And in the shorty, short 30-something years that Jesus lived on this earth, he did not solve every single problem. Jesus often leaves towns and villages where there were sick people still there. He came to earth and he completed the work that God, his Father, gave him to do no more and no less. He was content with the limited time that his Heavenly Father gave to him. And there are some of you who take on the burden of the whole world on your own shoulders. If you are someone like that, the gospel tells you that you can trust in the Alpha and the Omega. You don't need to carry the world on your shoulders. You don't need to always be busy in order to be somebody. You are known and loved by the Alpha and the Omega. You can trust him with the world. You can trust him with your own life. The gospel also tells us about time that we can redeem it. As we say among the men of Broadway, that we can invest eternally. 
The time that we've been given is a gift, and when we use that gift well, that work that we do lasts for eternity. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. This is Paul talking about the work that God has given to him. And this is what he says. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold or silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. What is the scripture saying? What it's saying is that when we do our work here in the world and as we live under the sun, as we take opportunities to use our time well, when we do that, whatever it is, if we do it for Christ, then in the spiritual world, in eternity, that work will last and remain. The way that things work beyond the sun is different from the way that things work under the sun. Here under the sun, the present moment is all that matters. What Donald Trump does or doesn't do seems more important to us than just about anything else. But what is important beyond the sun is measured by a far different standard than the immediate concerns of the moment. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 14 asks, did you do your work? Did you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ? If you did, what Paul tells us is that work will last forever. It will remain. It will, in some way, be remembered. You will be told by the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Stay-at-home moms, did you clean the dirty diapers and did you give your kids a hug and speak a word of blessing over their lives this week? Did you point your kids to Jesus? That work will be remembered and Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you go every day to a job that you don't like, and at that job, do you treat other people with respect and dignity? Do you see people through the eyes of Jesus, and do you pray for them? Well done, good and faithful servant. That work will be remembered on the last day. Or how about this in reverse? You know, Pastor Ryan's up here preaching a sermon. It's a very spiritual work, Right? Pastor Ryan, did you write your sermon in your own strength? Did you do it to impress other people? If so, that may have some effect on the people in the room that day, but it will be burned up in the end. It will be forgotten. Here under the sun, we value those things that have an impact, those things that can be seen. Beyond the sun, the measuring stick is much different. Your work is measured by who it is done for, and if it is done for Christ, your work will be remembered and remain forever. Isn't that good news? <coughs> Finally, 
In light of the gospel, each of us need to know that the time has come. When Jesus came, he preached this. These are the first words that we have recorded in the gospels. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The time has arrived. The moment, the opportunity, the season of your salvation is here today. If you will turn away from your own life, your own desires, and believe in the good news. This morning, if you do not know Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, today your time has come. The season is now for your salvation. Jonathan Edwards says this, if we have lived 50 or 60 or 70 years and have not used our time well, then it cannot be helped. It is eternally gone from us. All that we can do now is to improve the little time that remains. Eternity depends on the good use of time. But when once the time of life is gone, once death comes, we have no more to do with time. There is no possibility of obtaining more time and no possibility of having more time to prepare for eternity. If a man should lose the whole of his worldly wealth and become bankrupt, it is possible that this loss may be made up. But when the time of life is gone, it is impossible that we should ever obtain another such time. All opportunity of obtaining eternal treasure is utterly and everlastingly gone. The time has come for your salvation today. Jesus has come. There is one from beyond the sun who came into the hevel of our world, and today he offers you not hevel, but eternity. He offers you a life that can be lived outside of the frustrations and limitations of this life. He invites you into it now by turning away from trusting in yourself or in any other thing in this heavenly world. And he invites you to hope and trust in him. And this morning, I invite all of us today, if you are a believer and you find yourself Grasping on to things of this world and hoping in things of this world is the day today to turn away from those things and to place your hope fully in Christ. Today, if you have never accepted Christ, today is the day. Today is the time of your salvation. I invite you today to receive the life, the eternal life, the solid life that He offers. Worship team, you can come on up, and if anyone uh, this morning would like to come forward and to pray, if you'd like to pray with someone, feel free to come to this side. If you would like to pray on your own, please feel free to come, this side, come to this side. Would you, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the great gift of time. We confess, Lord, that we do not always use it well, that we often squander it. But God, we also thank you that your mercy and grace are always available to us. God, may each of us today receive what you have for us. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.